the kids are going. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Luke 24. Luke 24. Easter Sunday, what a great time to be in church, eh? What a great time to be together. Let's be frank, we often think about chocolate at Easter. Uh, I, I don't know if you're anything like me. You try and work out, are you an average kind of person? Are you a little bit above average, a little bit below average? I, I am below average. Now you're worried, why am I speaking? Well, I found out this week the average child gets 8.8 Easter eggs on Easter Sunday. 8.8 Easter eggs. Somebody out there must be having about 64 because they're making up for me. I, I got one this morning. Most expensive Easter egg? Anyone guess? What's the most expensive Easter egg? 80 pound? 50 pound? Two grand? Oh, golly. I didn't realize I was leading a church of small minded thinking. <laughs> the most expensive Easter egg you can buy is 9 million. Yes, I know you don't believe me, but I found it on the internet, and it's always true. It's, uh, it's basically one of these ones that's covered in diamonds, and it opens up the top, and this little sort of bird comes out every so often. Okay, uh, the most common egg, most common Easter egg in the world. Cadbury's cream egg. Any idea how many they produce a day? 1.5 million. 1.5 million are produced a day. Okay then, uh, let's have a rough guess. Just like to get us involved. We will get to the Bible in just a moment. I'm waiting for these parents to come back. How, what percentage of children eat their first Easter egg by 11 o'clock? <laughs> okay, so that gives us an insight into the Hague household. Apparently it's only 43% of children eat their first Easter egg. Okay, what percentage of children say they've overeaten on chocolate on Easter day? <laughs> Apparently 19%, but we won't go there just at this time. Anyone heard about throwing Easter eggs? Apparently this is a tradition in the UK, throwing Easter eggs. Apparently it started in church. And the leader of the church used to throw an Easter egg to one of the choir boys who used to have to throw it onto the next one and the next one. And when the clock struck 12, if you had the egg, you get to keep it. Have we got any eggs? Uh, we've got something. We're sorting out at the end. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to throw one right now. <laughs> right, I, I thought we'd just do a little game. Tick tock, tick tock. Sam, could you start that for us? Tick tock. You, you just stand up and wave your arm like this because you know you're a sort of music guy like this. He's going to go tick tock, tick tock. Everyone got it? Tick tock. Tick. I can't hear you. Let's just pass the egg round. Whenever Sam starts, you get to keep it. Oh! <laughs> okay, we'll leave it with that. Let's get to the Bible. This is getting us into trouble. Luke 24. Luke 24, and we're going to read 12 verses. I've been doing four weeks on what is the real meaning of Easter. Is it about chocolate? Is it about DIY? Is it about school holidays? We've looked at Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We've looked at it turning the tables in the temple. We've looked at him riding the donkey into Jerusalem. And now we're going to look at the resurrection. Luke 12, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, 
the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to us today. Some of us would have heard this story so many times. For some of us, maybe we think, oh, golly, I've never actually heard it read out before. I pray that you'd help us to consider that first Easter morning, the empty tomb. I pray you'd help us. Some of us might feel a bit like Peter. What on earth has happened? What is all this about? I do ask that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I've mentioned once before, I think, in these preaches that, that actually that the Bible is not split up into these headings when it was initially written. So I've started at Luke 24, and I've read those first 12 verses, but actually to really understand it, we probably just need to peel back to chapter 23 and verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee saw Joseph and saw the tomb. Now what had happened is Jesus had died. This guy Joseph said, can I take his body, had taken his body and had placed it in his own tomb. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph. They saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. So, you know, we would say that was Good Friday. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So they were not allowed to do anything on the Saturday, which was the Sabbath. So they'd seen where he'd, he'd been and, and died and where he was placed on the Friday. They got these spices ready. They rested on the Saturday. This is therefore Sunday morning. Now, in some respect, you say, why are those two verses so important? Well, I think I want to say this right from the beginning. They got the right tomb. You see, they'd been to the tomb on the Friday. They went back to the same tomb on the Sunday. You know, we are not just, just trying to look at a story and think, oh, golly, they turned up and it was an empty tomb, but they got the wrong tomb. I don't think that was the case at all. They'd been there literally 24 hours before. I think what we really need to do to understand chapter 24 is we've got to realize that Jesus had died. You know, this is not just some fainting and, and reviving in a cool tomb. We know from chapter 23 there that actually he died and he'd been taken and placed. He died and actually they'd taken him off the cross. He died and the soldiers would have known what they were doing. Pilate gave permission for him to go because it was so early. So Jesus died and they got the right tomb. 
So therefore, I feel that if we understand that, then chapter 24 becomes like a bit like an inspector, a, a game of Cluedo almost. Now, I don't know why I thought of that, because I nearly always lose to my son when I play Cluedo. I just don't seem to be able to read the clues. You know, and, and I think I, I get moved around these rooms and I think, what's going on? And I think sometimes we don't understand the clues that are given here. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm going to look at what I believe are seven clues to help us really understand this story. So we're going to go through the Bible and literally pick them out. Clue number one, on the first day of the week. I don't know about you, I'd never really thought about that. But when I was looking at it this week and I was thinking about it, I believe that there is some symbolism there that should grab our attention. You see, in the book of Genesis, we know that actually the sort of working week was six days and then God rested. And I believe that almost in the the center of history, which I believe is the death of Jesus and the resurrection, we get this pattern again. You see, what had happened is that the sixth day would have been on the Friday, and therefore he rested on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath. On the first day of the week, it's like a new week. It's like new creation. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. Sometimes I think I've rushed over that. On the first day of the week, there's almost something symbolic. Hey, it's a new creation, a new start, a new age is being ushered in. Clue number two. Very early in the morning. Now, I I grew up, my parents took me to a Baptist church for for years, and one of our celebrations on Easter Sunday was that we used to get up very early for what was called a sunrise service. Sunrise service, and I lived down in Sussex, we would go up onto the downs to literally see the sunrise. Now, some of you with kids would say, that's no big deal, I was up way before. 6.37 it was this morning, if you're interested. But we used to be there, and I used to remember, you know, I'd sort of begin, I remember it was like, felt like five o'clock. My dad was waking me up. We'd get in the car, and we'd drive. We'd be up on the downs. The sun would come up, and then we'd say, very early in the morning, and we'd remember the story. Why is that a clue? Why? Because actually, very early in the morning was actually an Old Testament picture for God's about to reveal what he's just done. It's almost like very early in the morning was an Old Testament understanding of God has been doing something and now it's going to be revealed to you. You might say, are you stretching that little piece? Well, actually, in Exodus 14, verse 24, second book of the Old Testament, it says, during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. It's almost like this is what God had been planning very early in the morning. They discovered it. We could say the same thing about 2 Kings 19. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000. When the people got up early in the morning, there was all this. It's almost like God had been at work throughout the night. Very early in the morning, you discovered what God had done. And I think there's a clue here. And, and that's two verses. If you want to check your scriptures on me, that's fine. Psalm 30 verse 5 says a very similar thing. Weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 90, verse 14, says another similar thing. Psalm 143, verse 8. There is a sense of it's a new day and a new beginning. It's almost like this new day, you will see what God has done. And I love that as a clue for this story. You know what I'm saying? First day of the week, we know something new is about to happen. Very early in the morning. Actually, God has been at work, and you're about to see something of what God has done. Clue number three, 
and I know Chris read the, the thing earlier, one of the other accounts. They found the stone rolled away. It's a bit like when I was, my kids were younger, we used to play a game called Hunt the Thimble. I don't know if you've ever played it, little thimble, you know, that I don't know what they even use them for. I guess it's sewing, isn't it? Push the needle through, that's it. You see? And, and, and you'd hide it somewhere around the house, and the kids used to have to find it, hunt the thimble. And of course, you know what it's like, you know, they're looking everywhere, you know, two, four, and six, or whatever, and they'd say, are we getting warm yet? And, and if they were getting a bit closer, they'd say, oh yeah, you're getting a bit warmer. I used to lie, Nicky used to tell me off for that, just because I thought it extended the game, you know? But actually, it's like, I'm finding another clue. You say, oh, it's down this end, yeah, getting warmer. And I feel that there's another clue coming out. I feel that that's happened here. When they, they found the stone had rolled away. I mean, think about it. Just stop for a moment. Why did they have a stone? Why did they have a stone? I suppose, I was just thinking about, do you think, I guess it must have stopped animals getting into the tomb. It must have stopped robbers going in and stealing stuff. It must have stopped the smell getting out. And suddenly, hey, this is a tomb. There's a dead body in there. We've sealed it up. It's, it's, the stone's been moved. Almost like warning, 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 something's going on here. We know the story and we know the ending. And the danger sometimes is that we just rush to the end and go, hey, I, I know. But actually, there was clues right throughout this story. Early in the morning, first day of the week, the stone has rolled. Clue number four. They entered, they did not find the body. I mean, I don't know about you, if this was like a a, a TV show, you could imagine the music getting louder and louder and louder. You know, you'd be picking up, there were some vibes going on. I've walked in here, where is the body? It was a clue, wasn't it? Something's happened here. Something special is taking place. Something amazing has occurred. But it's still only a clue. I still can't quite suss what's happened. Clue number five, it says, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. We know that angelic visitors, which is what we believe this was, was only ever happened when something amazing occurred. So in the Gospel of Luke... We read about it when it was the birth of John the Baptist, an angel came. We read about it when um, Mary was told that she was going to have a baby. And we read about it when the shepherds, three occasions, suddenly there's a clue. Hey, angels are coming. Something special is about to happen. Have we, have we picked up on that? Some have even said there was two angels because actually they wanted there to be certain that they picked up on this clue. You needed two people for a court of law to say it was definite. And so it's almost Luke saying, hey, there was these two angels there. Why have you picked up on the clue? Because something is about to be revealed, and this is something amazing. I've got these two angels here. Are you aware? Clue number six. Why do you look for the living among the dead? It's almost like, golly, you know, come on, get your brain in to get, I, I should get this, I should be there. I mean, there's the question, isn't there, from these angels to the women. And then they make a statement. Clue seven. He is not here. Even this was a clue. Because you could have said, oh, he's not here. What's happened? Has somebody robbed him? 
Has the high priest robbed him? Have the Romans robbed him? Has somebody been in and robbed him? And can you see that there's these clues getting further and further along in the story until finally they declare he has risen. He is not dead. Jesus is alive. The grave could not hold him. Death could not defeat him. I mean, I think this is just the thrilling excitement of this story. Can you see the clues until suddenly there's a sense of Jesus has risen. He then goes on to say, remember how he told you this was all part of God's plan. It says in Luke 18, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. To me, this is just the, the huge excitement about this story. Here is the clue. And what's it pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I find that phenomenal, don't you? No one else has ever done it. I know some of you say, oh, what about Lazarus? Lazarus was resuscitated because Lazarus died again and Jesus never dies again. So Jesus is the first one that's resurrected. You see, Jesus rose from the dead. He is not here. He has risen. I, I, I cannot understand. I, I'm, I'm not assuming everyone here is a Christian. But I read this stat to this week that 95% of Christians believe Jesus rose from the dead. So I've got to assume there might be 5% of Christians here today that don't believe it. Why? <laughs> I mean, what's it all about? Surely this makes the radical difference. You see, I think this turns everything around, this one stat. I've got a lot of respect for Gandhi and his peaceful process, protesting. But actually what I found shocking is that he was even prepared to write off the whole thing of rising from the dead because he said, well, whether or not he even existed doesn't matter. It was good teaching. No, actually, this is central. We cannot just say, oh, well, I follow this guy, but it doesn't matter whether or not he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. This is clear. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all say this. Okay, they say it from slightly different angles. They've got slightly different details in there. They say this, Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know. Some churches would have given me a hallelujah by now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, surely that is good news, isn't it? Hallelujah. Great, we're there, aren't we? I mean, you think, I find this phenomenal. Jesus rose from the dead. Have you ever thought about it? We don't enshrine a tomb. Yeah, the thing about Christianity is we, you know, now we do that, you could say, for, for other notable people. If you go to Westminster Abbey, you know, there's a, there's a plaque up and certain bones are here. You know, I went to the Vatican last year and you can walk under the catacombs and you can think, the last pope was here or the pope before was here. Or we got, you know, there is no tomb. You know, it's not like we have to decorate up this tomb and, and celebrate and remember the tomb of Jesus. Because the tomb is empty. No body has ever been produced. You know, if they wanted to quell Christianity, surely they'd have brought it out and said, look, here's the bones of Jesus Christ. And it would have dissolved the whole story. But it hasn't. Instead, what happened is these Christians' lives were radically changed. I mean, they were scared and they were hidden and suddenly they were on fire for Jesus Christ. Why? Because they'd encountered the risen Christ. And I think that... that that is open for us today. I think this must make a huge difference. I mean, 
you think about it, they used to get Saturday off. They were supposed to work on Sunday. Suddenly Christians are saying, actually, we've got to gather and worship on a Sunday. Why? Because this was such a key, important event. This has changed the whole way I think. I think, wow, that's radical, isn't it? Wasn't it because Saul, who was trying to persecute the church, encountered the risen Jesus that he turned around and became Paul that wrote half of the New Testament? You see, when you encounter the risen Jesus, you suddenly realize this is central and changes everything. Why do I say that? Well, we know that Luke, the guy who wrote Luke, wrote another book in the New Testament, Acts. So he wrote the two books together. And if you then go on to look at Acts, you can see how central the resurrection of Jesus is. And, uh, I mean, I would love to read through every verse, but I know that we're going to be breaking bread and, and I haven't got time for that. Acts 2.36 says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There's this sense of he is central to everything. Peter is preaching. You killed the author of life, it says in Acts 3. God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. The resurrection was not created by the church. The church was created by the resurrection. They weren't trying to spin a story here. They were trying to say this is central to all of who we are. You could then go on and look at Paul. He wrote 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. To him, it was central. 1 Corinthians 15. I want to remind you the gospel I preached you, which you received, on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. That Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day. I believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ was almost the seal of God. I am pleased with him. I delight in my son. What he did on the cross, it's almost like tick job done. I think the resurrection is so important. I'll be honest, uh, when I was 18, uh, 16, sorry, I chose to do A-levels. I'm not a very academic guy. This is worrying you even more and more now, isn't it? And so in those days, to try and get in to do A-levels, the only way I could attempt to do A-levels was to do those that I hadn't done at O-level. So I chose um, sociology, economics, and RE A-level. And RE A-level, we did philosophy and ethics. It was the first time I'd come across Christians that just didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And you'd have all these theories about, oh, what is it? No, I genuinely believe he physically rose from the dead. I think this is what these New Testament believers were hanging on to. Jesus rose from the dead. It's not some spiritual thing. It's not some mythological thing. Jesus physically rose from the dead. You say, Pete, you really believe that? I really do. And I think that must change everything. You see, I think if we believe it, then it will make a huge impact upon our lives. Okay, now, I'd like to hold up a mirror and say, do you believe it? You might say, of course I believe it. I say, how do you show that you believe it? Because I think the resurrection made such a difference to the early church, it surely should make such a difference to us now. The risen Jesus is then called Lord by the Gospel of Mark and Luke. So before that, they've been talking about Jesus, and suddenly it's Lord Jesus. 
You see, suddenly Jesus is risen and whoa, suddenly there's a respect. He is Lord. This was the title that they would have used when they baptized the early church. It was probably the title that many had on their lips when they were martyred for their faith. Jesus is Lord. He's risen and he is Lord. By rising from the dead, Jesus triumphed over death and every other power that can be named. Jesus, therefore, is our hope. So what kind of hope am I thinking about? Well, I think, what would it have meant to the people then? Well, I think, firstly, to the, to the Greeks, it would have meant a saving. You see, at this time, the Greeks were beginning to throw off some of the old Greek gods and the ways of thinking about, you know, Mount Olympus and these gods that would come down and sleep with women and all the things that happened on there. They were beginning to throw that off. And they were beginning to think, now, actually, we... We're looking for meaning and fulfillment, and we're looking for something that would save us. And the Christian said, Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one that will ultimately save you. And I think that when Jesus is Lord and he rose, that that is what he's saying. I think people today still look for fulfillment and meaning, whether it's having more friends on Facebook than somebody else, whether it's having pictures of you in front of more famous people than somewhere else, I think there's still a sense of seeking fulfillment and meaning. And I think what they understood as Jesus is Lord is Jesus is the one who saves. I think the Romans would have understood Jesus as Lord in a different way. You see, at the time, and we might think, oh, that seems crazy today because we're so caught up in individualism, but at the time, they just started really pushing emperor worship. And so the idea was that Caesar was Lord. And so if you're a Roman, they didn't mind this. They'd have lots of lords, you know what I'm saying? So, oh, I can worship Caesar's God. I can worship somebody else's God. But actually, you know, I do need to worship Caesar. The Christian said, no, Jesus is Lord. Therefore, no one else can be Lord. And so what it meant for the Romans, if they understood the resurrection, is that Jesus is the one who comes first in my life. Jesus comes first. Some of you will know that actually the Emperor Nero hated this and ended up burning loads of Christians. Why? Because they kept saying, Jesus comes first. I wonder how you find that even now. Do you believe in the risen Jesus? Is he the one that comes first in your life? Or do you say, well, actually, my career comes first, or my earning comes first, or my family come first? I think the Roman Christians would have understood the risen Jesus as the one that comes first. I think the Jews would have understood the risen Jesus as divine. I think that by Jesus rising for the dead and taking the word Lord, you see, the Jews didn't like to use the name God in case they thought something wrong or didn't show enough respect when saying it. So even in the Bible, instead of Yahweh, God's name, they would say Lord. And so suddenly when Jesus is declared as the risen Lord, hey, he's God. And so what they're really saying is, hey, this wasn't just a good teacher. This wasn't just someone that had some great morals. This wasn't someone that taught with more authority than their own teachers. This was God. And so by rising from the dead, he's suddenly revealing, I am God. What do you think about Jesus? Do you accept him really as God? If he rose from the dead, you see, see, suddenly rising from the dead is so important because it means he comes first. It means he's the one that can save you. It means he truly is God. 
In fact, I think you can read the New Testament and say that they genuinely believed that Jesus was Lord of all. Not just my life, but the whole world. Philippians 2, which some think was a hymn that Paul didn't actually write, but he took and used as part of his letter because so many of the early church would have known it. In Philippians 2, verse 8, it says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So for the Christians, they were not only just saying, actually, he's divine. They're not just saying he saves. They're not just saying he's first. They're saying he's Lord of all. We can find that quite challenging in our tolerant society. But what they're really saying is that one day every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess. I guess I think, wow, that's the Jesus that we read about at Easter. Jews might go to the tomb of Abraham in Hebron. Buddha, we know, was buried in India. Muhammad, we know, was buried in Medina. But there is no tomb for Jesus. I've got to say, he's he's unique. The resurrection makes a massive amount of difference. You see, if I'm just being very honest with you. I, I, I say I was... I went to church before I was born. Yeah, my mum was pregnant. I did Easter one time before I even turned up, you see, because my birthday's in April. So I must have been there about eight months, you know, like this, my first Easter. And I've done 24 since. You know what I'm saying? But you suddenly think, I often think about Easter and the cross, and I think about the price that he paid for me. And often I think about the cross, and I think the punishment that he took on my behalf. I think about the cross and I think the humiliation that I know Karen was praying about. And, and, the sh- and you just think, oh, Jesus, such love that you would show for me. But then if I'm really honest, when I get to the Sunday and the empty tomb, what Easter says to me is, wow, who are you? Do I really acknowledge you as God of all? Easter is not just about my sins being dealt with at the cross. It's about me recognizing that you're Lord of all. And it's not about me even becoming flippant about my big brother, Jesus. Actually, the whole world would need to bow before you. When do I humbly say, oh, Jesus, it's all about you? When do I realize, wow, you've got to come first in my life. You're the only one that can save. When do I say, you truly are God? And therefore, I need to realign my whole life with you. You see, to me, that is the beauty of Easter Sunday. It's not just, well, I know my sins are dealt with because he rose again and therefore I know I'm covered. I I believe that's one of the messages of Easter. But if you said to me, actually, Pete, what is Easter really about? Well, I think really it's a demonstration of who Jesus is. And when my eyes are opened again to him, there's nothing I can do but stand in awe, is there? I mean, really. I, I'm, 
I always feel guilty. I don't want to, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to inspire you. I think I have done, I've done 44 Easter's. Okay, let's be frank on that one. You just think, oh God, do I look again and realize how wonderful you are, Jesus? Could I stop again on a day like today and just think, Jesus, you, when I see that you broke out the tomb, when you went free, when you conquered death, these words that we had in the video at the start, I'm amazed at who you are. Let's just take a moment to pause and think about this risen Jesus. Jesus, we do want to be like the women. We think they just led the way in this story. I mean, they grasped it and they were just, wow, Jesus is risen. They were, they were running from the tomb. They had to go and tell the disciples. It doesn't even say that you told them to in this account. But it's, they couldn't contain it. Their amazement, their joy, their delight at the risen Jesus. I mean, they went and shared it with others meant they were just caught up in worshipping you. I pray for those here that believe. I pray that we'll be those that run with joy this Easter and share that good news with others. I pray that as a church we're those that think, whoa, Jesus is alive. I've got to share this great news. I want to pray as well for the Peters here this morning. We know that this passage ends with Peter just wondering what has happened we know there would have been devastation at his denial of Christ we know there just would have been confusion there would have been what how can this be this is impossible I saw him die I know he was buried Lord, I'm sure there are people here even this morning that think, what, are you really telling me about this? I just don't know. I've got so many questions. Lord, I pray for those with questions. I pray they'd come on the Alpha. I pray, God, you'd help them answer their questions. I pray even today as they're at home and they're just thinking it through. Can this really be true? Did Jesus really die? Is he really the only way to God? I pray you'd help people, answer their questions, take them on a journey. What I do pray is none of us go away the same.
I'll be honest, I've always enjoyed going to the West End. I love seeing shows. I saw Jesus Christ Superstar. I don't know how many of you have seen that one. I think what had happened, and it, to me it was tragic. So, you know, they've got all the songs going on and all this kind of stuff. Some people find it a bit dodgy or whatever. I just quite enjoyed it, I'll be honest, until it got to the end. Because they left Jesus on the cross because they couldn't cope with the thought of a resurrection. And the stage, it, it finished. And I think, yeah, because actually if Jesus rose, it changes everything. And so they thought, we'll leave him on the cross. Everyone go. And I want to bring the challenge to us. Church, it makes a huge difference. We don't come before a dead saviour. We come before a risen Lord. And that's the excitement of stories like this, isn't it? Anyway, I know Adam's now going to lead us in remembering that.